Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What a weekend. On the hardwood, on the diamond, all over the place. Good weekend in the world of sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey for the next three hours. Hope you had a great weekend and are ready for a new week. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find their website online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. C Spire text line is open if you would like to jump in this afternoon, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Mississippi State goes on the road. They get two of three at Tennessee, and the two, the, the one that they didn't get, what a weird ball game in which Mississippi State lost 2-1. to one. We'll talk about that in a bit. Ole Miss sweeps Florida. Southern Miss gets a sweep at home uh, over the weekend and to improve to 20-9. and nine. Southern Miss and Ole Miss will meet in midweek baseball tomorrow night in Pearl. The national championship game is coming up tonight. We are officially in Masters Week. Somebody is going to get Jim Nance tie tonight that plays really well and is a senior. I think that's how it works when it's all said and done. Boys, what's up? Borky, did you have a good weekend? Gonna have a better week than the weekend. I like it. Yes, I like it. No, those are not technical difficulties. If you're new to the show, this was for, for, for the longest time. If we had any sort of a technical glitch, Borky would just hit the masters music and it would play until we got things worked out. I didn't no really technical know what I was issues doing in here just yet, so I had to do something, and that was what I landed on. There you go. What's up, hey dad? Hello, friends. It's great to be with you here on Sports Talk Mississippi, here in the Renaissance Bank Studios. I had a great weekend. I didn't have to do anything because there were no sports in town for me to cover, and that was exciting. That will uh, that will change a little bit this coming weekend. Yes, it will. Quite. I have a, a heck of a weekend. Have I told you what I have going on beyond covering sports? No, you have not. I have been invited to join the Bluff City Bulldogs barbecue team this weekend. So Friday night after the baseball game, I'm not going to bed. I'll be up all night cooking ribs. Will you be cooking or will you be watching somebody else cook ribs? I have been given the title of rib specialist. And I will be I will be partaking of all of the uh, the the procedures there, the smoking, the 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 mopping, the wrapping, the cooking, and of course, the best part the tasting. The, the tasting. So this yes. is for the barbecue contest that goes along with Super Bulldog Weekend? Yeah, these are some friends of mine, uh, a couple of guys from Starbuck, actually a couple of guys from Oxford as well who are Bulldogs. And uh, 
they have won in the past for whole hog, one for ribs. They won the whole shooting match, uh, I think, in 2014. And uh, I've always gone out there afterwards and, you know, gotten a taste of the pig, and it's, it's fantastic. They're just doing ribs this year, and uh, I, I am excited to be a part of it. So you're going to cover the baseball game on Friday night and then stay up all night long? Yes, and then, then I'll cover everything Saturday, and then I will crash hard probably around 8 o'clock on Saturday night. There you go. It sounds like a, a fun weekend coming up. Uh, Rippy, yeah. how was your weekend? You, you did not have the opportunity to just sit around and do nothing this weekend, right? I did not. I'm Come just... on, man. <laughs> Jeez. How long has he got to be on here before he realizes he needs to double-check to make sure that his mic's on? Well, like 80% of the time it's on. Like, who's cutting this stuff off? Well, that means two out of ten times. Someone's pressing buttons they're not supposed to be pressing. I think that's probably reasonable. How was your weekend? Pretty good. No, I did not do nothing. That's this that weekend sense. for you, right? Uh, no, Kentucky is in Oxford this weekend, so oh. just baseball, but no spring game on top of that. Well, you'll get it sooner or later. Don't worry. And when it happens, buddy, it is it's it's awesome. I did last weekend. It was like, I mean, it was an interesting weekend because you go two baseball games with the spring game sandwiched in between, and then like the hour long rain delay to cap off the day was just kind of the nice, <laughs> yeah, one hour and one minute. So uh, we got a lot to get to this afternoon. National championship game tonight, just like everybody had in their bracket, Virginia against Texas Tech. Are you interested in watching this game tonight? No. I, I have some interest because it's different, you know. I, I got you know. It, it, to me, it, it's it, it can be exciting. I like the the brand of basketball these two teams play. I like, you know, gritty. I almost wanted to say dirty. Defensive basketball, I can get into it. I don't understand what they're like. Why would you not be interested? You don't like. I guess if you don't like college basketball, you wouldn't be interested. I guess me saying no was not the correct answer. So I will watch it. Yeah, I'll watch it. But if my wife asks me to do something, I will happily get up off the couch and do it, as opposed to like the football national championship or the Masters this weekend. If I am told to do something then I will be very mad. But tonight, I just, for some reason, this matchup and the style of play and everything, the stories have not grabbed me like maybe some others would have. So so what you're saying is during the football national championship game, you would say, hey, go make me a sandwich. No. Whereas tonight, only... you're, you'll say, hey, could I make you a sandwich? <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't. Uh, I don't do that to her. But if she ever asks me to do something during those games, you, you know how it is. I, I'll still reluctantly do it because you, you can't just say no to your wife when she's being nice and asking you to do something. But I can be annoyed by it tonight. Won't really be all that annoyed by it. Yeah, fair enough. We've got winners and losers coming up an hour from right now. We're going to talk with all three baseball coaches. Uh, Scott Perry joins us in the 3 o'clock hour after losing a midweek game. Southern Miss comes back and gets a sweep. Chris Lamonis will join us, and uh, we're going to ask him to walk us through the crazy situation on Saturday. So so what, what inning are we talking about, hey, Dad? Oh, goodness, I have the box score in front of me. It was I think it was the fifth inning to beat. Okay, so the fifth inning... Tennessee has runners on first and second, and they lay down a sacrifice bunt to move those guys to second and third. It was a successful sacrifice play. Nobody out or one out at the time? Uh, see, this is stuff i got to have in front of me. Uh, My I think goodness, it, man. You, I know. It, it was the fifth come inning. Come on. 
Uh, I mean, I don't have you really didn't do anything this weekend, did I you? I watched the game. But I think if I'm if I'm correct, there were uh, there was one out. Okay. Regardless, play ins, successful sacrifice attempt. Tennessee has runners second and third. Ball comes back to the pitcher, and he just takes the ball and flips it to the dugout. Right. Right. The ball was not dead. Had not been uh, the the play had not been ruled officially dead by the umpires. And by rule, when a ball goes out of play into the dugout, two bases are awarded. And so the runner on third comes home, and the runner on second comes home. Tennessee gets two runs on the play, and they win two to one. Right. That's kind of a gut punch. Yeah, I mean, that's the only two. I mean, you think about that game. You don't get JT Ginn to start that game. So you're already a little nervous because State's pitching beyond Small and Ginn has been suspect this year. Instead, you get a really good pitching performance, but you just give it away with an error that basically, from what I can tell, was some sort of miscommunication between Plumley and the umpires. That he asked for time, thought he had gotten it, did not get it, for whatever reason rolls the ball into the dugout, and that's a two-base error. And people were furious about this and said, oh, it was ridiculous that the umpires enforced the rule. I'm not really entirely sure what you want the umpires to do if a player, while the ball is still in play, takes and takes it and flips it into the dugout. Then by rule, guys get two bases. Yeah. And unless you had an umpire who actually told Plumley, you've got time, dead ball, and he got rid of the baseball, and then that umpire goes, ooh, nope, 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 I didn't say that, did not say it. If, if the ball was still in play, it's a pretty straightforward rule. It's just a rule that a lot of people didn't know. Right. Because they were like, well, why do you get two bases there? Not well, The rule is you get two bases. I think the reason people were upset was if you go back and watch the replay, which I wouldn't recommend doing because of Tennessee's ridiculous broadcast this weekend, uh, but it, it appears that everybody on the field thinks the ball's dead. The bat girl is picking up the bat. Everybody's just sort of wandering around, but... It had not been made official, hence the error. Yeah, there you go. Ole Miss gets a sweep of Florida. The The most intriguing game of the weekend was game three. Florida put four runs on the board in the third inning. They put four more runs on the board in the fourth inning. Ole Miss at that point was up two games to none, but was trailing eight to nothing. Rebels got a two-run home run from Cole Zabowski in the bottom of the fourth. Then things got kind of weird in the fifth inning. Um, down eight to two. Ole Miss got a leadoff triple from Anthony Servideo in the nine hole and then a couple of base hits, a run scored. There's nobody out first and second. You go into a lightning delay that lasts just a hair over an hour, and then Ole Miss comes back. They end up sending 14 men to the plate, score eight runs in the bottom of the fifth inning, take a 10-8 lead, and then ultimately get a 12-10 win to sweep the Florida Gators. We'll talk a little bit more about the Ole Miss series, a little bit more about the Mississippi State series, and a whole lot more with you as we continue Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio on this Monday afternoon. All right, let's jump in and unpack this baseball weekend. Since Ole Miss got the sweep over Florida, we will start with the Rebels 12-4 in Game 1 on Friday night. Will Etheridge was the starting pitcher in the game, but had the blister issue arise again. Three and two-thirds, three hits, two earned runs. He walked three 
and struck out one. Ole Miss went to the bullpen, and Tyler Myers took it the rest of the way. Went five and a third, gave up only two runs. He had four strikeouts, did not walk a batter. Tyler Myers has become a big part of the story for this Ole Miss baseball team. Most reliable arm outside of the pen, probably not named Parker Caracy, um, and eats a lot of innings. He went, what, four and a third in one of the wins last week at Arkansas, I believe, um, went three and two-thirds in Memphis when it was the first time he'd pitched in ten days. I mean, he's as good as they got, and he's – I don't know if it'll end up happening in the next couple of weeks, but, like, that's definitely a Sunday option you probably need to look at. Because, like, you phrase it this way. When you get past the one-two Ethers Nikhazy, say you get that in game three of a regional to make sure it doesn't get to an elimination game, who are you giving the ball to? Yeah. It's a, it's a reasonable question. Tommy Mace, shortest outing of the year for Florida, goes just three and a third. He gave up 12 hits in three and a third, and it felt like that was the story in game one, Ole Miss's offense. After the dismal performance on Tuesday of last week against North Alabama, they come out and get 12 runs on 17 hits against the top 25 team. Mace is a good pitcher, too, But and, and Mike said this after the game. He's a bad matchup because it's like a – I mean, he's a fastball cutter slider guy with no like really like huge drop off like breaking ball or off speed and Ole Miss just kind of hammered him. So he's a good pitcher that they tore him up, but that was that was a good matchup for Ole Miss. Game two was a rout. Ole Miss jumped out to a two nothing lead. The starter on the mound for Ole Miss in that game was Doug Nikhazy. He puts out another good performance. Goes six innings, seven hits, one earned run, six strikeouts, a walk. Didn't have the control issues that he had against Arkansas gets the quality start, and gives Ole Miss a chance. And then again, the offense kind of went crazy. They scored two in the first, one in the third, two in the fourth, six in the fifth, two more in the sixth, and then added three for good measure in the seventh. 16 runs and 20 hits in that win for Ole Miss. Florida's pitching and defense in Game 2 was uh, what we like to call suboptimal. But (laughs) where would this team be without Doug Nikhazy? I mean... He's been as I mean, he's stabilized that rotation. He's been as good as you could possibly ask for in in that role. And like Colin and I were talking on the podcast earlier, he was saying talking about the matchup with Zach Thompson next weekend against Kentucky. Like Etheridge has been really good, but I'm to a point where if you got to win one game, I'm almost like a coin flip fine with either one of them running out there if I were Mike Bianco. Tyler Dyson was the starter for Florida in Game Two, and you know it was. Florida didn't make the decision until Saturday morning who they were going to start, and they did not know who they were going to start in Game 3. Yeah, and Ole Miss didn't either. Right, the the Game 3 starter. Uh, you end up with Houston Roth starting Game 3 for Ole Miss, and uh, Florida went to uh, Christian Scott in Game 3. Uh, Florida used three pitchers in that game, so did Ole Miss, Doug Nikhazy, Taylor Broadway, Caleb Hill. Monster game for Gray Kessinger, 5-for-5 five five with a walk, Two runs scored, five runs batted in, and his SEC numbers are just off the charts. Moving out of that leadoff spot, one, he looks more just comfortable in general, and he's getting a lot better pitches to hit. And it's kind of freeing him up just to kind of drive the ball and not really have to worry about some of the other responsibilities you have as a leadoff guy. I mean, he's been about as good as you – I mean, there's been a noticeable change since he's moved out of there. I'll put it that way. Yeah, Kessinger hitting now over 300 for the year. Got off to a really slow start for the season. In SEC play, in 12 SEC games, he's hitting 404 with seven doubles and 13 runs batted in. And it's three for three in stolen bases. That dog will hunt. That uh, is certainly uh, a stat line that you will deal with out of your uh, your two-hole hitter. 
And then game three, this was the crazy one. Florida led eight to nothing. Ole Miss got a two run home run from Cole Zabowski, who, by the way, has the most home runs for Ole Miss in SEC play. He's been really good in uh, in conference play. Four of his seven home runs on the year have come in the league. He's swinging it well. He's hitting three seventy five, and it's kind of settled into that DH role. Settled in the DH role, been moved up a slot from sixth to fifth. He's been, I mean, in a, in a lineup that had its inconsistencies for the first five, six weeks of the season. He and Cooper Johnson were the two main constants. In uh, in that final game uh, where Ole Miss trailed um, eight to nothing, they finished 12 runs, 12 hits, and so for the weekend, Ole Miss had 40 runs and 49 hits. You and I were talking a little bit, Rippy, before the, the show began uh, about the fact that it seemed like eventually the offense would come around Really going back to the last game of the Arkansas series and then forward to this week, it's been a 180 for this offense. Yeah, and that's kind of the that was the day they ran out the lineup with Olenek at the top, and they seemed to settle in to that and a couple of different variations of it based on pitching matchups and other things. And yeah, it's made a difference. What they scored 10 in the Sunday game, so that's 50 runs in their last four SEC games. You will win games when you do that, right? More than likely. If you don't, you're probably in a world of trouble. Yeah. Um, so what about this Ole Miss team going forward? They're now sitting uh, in league play uh, at 8-4, and four, which coming out of Missouri two weeks ago didn't feel like it was possible. Yeah, and now you got a Kentucky team that, you know, Zach Thompson is really good. Um, that'll be a tough one on, on Saturday, more than likely. But outside of that, Kentucky's really struggled, so they have a really good chance to get to 10-5 and five, you know, at the halfway point. And for Mike Bianco's teams that kind of tend to play better on the second half of the year, I, I think they would have taken 10-5 and five in this SEC West race at the halfway point. P- point being, in not predicting a sweep against a team that's 2-10 and 10 in the SEC, it's just hard to sweep? Well... For, they start two, potentially three left-handers, and Zach Thompson is really good. I mean, I, I'm not saying they couldn't sweep, but yeah, I mean, go ahead and chalking in three wins. I mean, it's hard to sweep in this league, and when you got it one arm like that, that's tough to beat. Not saying they can't do it, but... Hey, Dad, standings right now. you got Arkansas, LSU, and Ole Miss all at 8-4, and four, tied for first in the SEC West. Then you got Texas A&M at 7-4-1. and one. Mississippi State at 7-5, and five. and we'll get into the details a little bit later of the weekend. We'll talk with Chris Lamonis in the 4 o'clock hour. Um, I saw you tweeted last night that you felt like maybe two, three, four weeks down the line, you could look back to the Sunday game of the series in Knoxville and say that was a really big, really important win for Mississippi State. Yeah, I absolutely do think that because that, that was a series State needed to win. I mean, they... they they, they gritted out a win on Friday night. You saw what happened on Saturday. And then Sunday to come from behind and, and get the win, it just felt like something they needed. You know, they, they, back-to-back series losses would not have been good for Mississippi State coming into this, this homestand against Alabama. They, they needed a series win. And I think when we come back, the, rest, the West race is going to be super tight. And any games you drop, they're huge. They're just absolutely huge. I mean, State is one of the best teams in the country, but they're – Sitting what a, a game out of first and basically in fifth place in the West right now. So, yeah. I mean, they they needed that win. I really do feel like that. And and by getting it, they've set themselves up for for a you know a good week this week and a chance to uh, to stay in the picture as far as a, a national seed. 
And Alabama coming to town this weekend, it's kind of an interesting matchup because Alabama is not a great baseball team. But they're better than they have been, and they're sitting there at 4-8, and and they got two wins this past weekend. Now they got swept at Florida two weeks ago. It's not a team and it's not a weekend where you can just kind of roll the hats out there and count on three wins. I guess the point we were making just a second ago with regard to expecting a sweep or predicting a sweep, it's kind of hard to do that in any weekend of league play. Yeah, you should almost never predict a sweep in SEC play. And what you said about Alabama, it's almost like you were listening to the uh, the Thunder and Lightning podcast because that's exactly what I said. They're, they're not good, but they're much better than they were last year. They're very competitive. They just took two out of three from South Carolina, who somehow South Carolina might be the, wor- the, the one of the worst teams in the league. I, I didn't see that coming. Um, so, yes, this is a good chance for State, you know, with a, a midweek game against South Alabama and then these three games against Alabama to have another 3-1, and one, possibly 4-0 week. And if they do that, going into what's going to, you know, the stretch run is getting here, uh, and they've got, you know, tough series remaining when you look at what they have left. They have three on the road against Arkansas, A&M, and Ole Miss, and one of their two reigning home series after this weekend is against Georgia, who we saw took two out of three from Vanderbilt and now seem to have a, a bit of a hammerlock on the SEC East. Yeah, it's going to be tough for Mississippi State down the road, but a, a good week this week will set them up for a, uh, a strong finish. Georgia right now at 9-3, and three, best record in the league. Vanderbilt is two games back at 7-5, and five, but in reality, Vandy's three games back because they lose the series and they lose the tiebreaker to Georgia. So, so your point there, yeah, six weeks remaining, a lot of baseball left, but if Georgia continues to play well, good luck catching them. Yeah, it's, it, that... that that was a big series win for Georgia, and Georgia's a team we've always talked about. Like, why aren't they good in baseball? Why are they? Why do they struggle? They seem to have finally uh, opened up the, uh, the, the or found the genie's lamp or whatever you want to put there, and they're they're good this year. They may be the best team in the East. First series win for Georgia over Vandy in eleven years. Wow. Speaks to two things. One, right? One, yeah. Vanderbilt's been really, really good, and Georgia really hasn't been. But in that eleven-year window. Two trips to the College World Series for Georgia? Yeah. Is that right? That should have been 08. Yeah. 08 forward. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. The Grove and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. with you sports talk mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm the ceasefire text line is 601-879-4395 we got a question on the ceasefire text line it says when y'all come back can you explain why cooper johnson was ejected talking about the old miss catcher ejected in the fourth inning i think it was of uh, of game three he um was standing in the box did not like the strike call and reached out with his bat and drew a line in the dirt in almost the edge of the opposite batter's box to show the home plate umpire where he thought the ball actually crossed the plate, and then he got to go to the shower. That was the uh, that was the reason that it happened. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Scott Barry joins us. Southern Miss coming off of a, uh, a sweep this weekend. Coach, I, I got to tell you, in, in in the way that players might want to argue, that's a pretty strong move. I, I've thought before I might do that, but that's a, a good way to not get to finish a game, right? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's a tough deal, probably a hard <laughs> lesson 
that will be learned out of that. But sometimes, you know, whether it's um, umpires, you know, they don't get everything right. We certainly as coaches don't get everything right. And, uh, you know, you hope sometimes that people take in consideration the uh, the, the competitiveness of, of everything that's involved. But, uh, you know, with that situation, certainly uh, the umpires, they don't, they don't like that. So... Have you ever been ejected when you didn't deserve to have, to have been ejected? I don't think so. You know, I think uh, either <laughs> when you've gotten like, run, you deserved it. Yeah, I mean, I think I was. Uh, you know, it was a situation where you're certainly fighting for your team that you thought that uh, you were in the right, or you know, possibly there was some frustration on some uh, situations that maybe not the first time it happened, but maybe you know it was. Uh, uh, a time to uh, to basically draw attention that hey you know well, I don't see it this way and uh, you know sometimes uh, you're asked to leave and that's that's part of the game and uh, you know I think what what has cleaned up a lot of a lot of arguing of course you can't replay that that situation you were talking about with the catcher but yeah. you know uh, talking to Dozier in the major leagues there's hardly any ejections anymore. Uh, because the replay has has gotten rid of a lot of the arguing, and you see that moving into college baseball more and more, and, and it probably needs to be more prevalent in in our game as well. Yeah, I guess that's true. Although watching Lou Pinella or somebody like that just absolutely lose his mind always was uh, was good for some laughs uh, well, along you're right. the way. Earl Weaver, all those guys. Oh yeah, you can YouTube them and still get great laughs out of that. And uh, you know, I think there was there was a great relationship, honestly, between umpires and managers back then. But uh, everybody's pretty sensitive, it seems like today. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, that's limited to baseball. Let's talk some baseball. Your team gets a uh, gets a sweep this weekend. How'd you feel about uh, how your guys played? You know, really well. I thought our guys competed and played very hard. Uh, the things that that you need to do to to win baseball games. Uh, you know, you go back to Tuesday against South Alabama. You know, that was probably the worst game we've played all year. Uh, after jumping out five to nothing in the first inning, uh, only to see uh, South Alabama just continue to chip away and 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 really just handedly beat us. But you know, uh, not only did they beat us, we beat ourselves in that game. And, and moving into the weekend against a, a Marshall team that had been playing very well, I think they were eighteen and ten coming in, uh, and you know, really had some good numbers and. Very competitive club, and you know when you when you look back at it, Richard, you say to yourself, you know, we were fortunate to win those three games, but we played well enough to win those three games. We played three errorless ball games. We didn't beat ourselves as far as that goes. All three games, we saw ourselves uh, behind at some point during the game, uh, particularly in in game two when we had to come back and and have a walk off there in the first game Saturday of a doubleheader. And, and, you know, at that point, you're like, okay, you win the series, uh, but now you've got a chance to sweep, and you don't want to let down here. And, and we, we did, in, in, in one respect, of game three, we gave up a seven spot in the sixth inning to go, uh, go from five, uh, five to two to seven to five, and we're behind. But we responded with four in the bottom of the sixth and really continued to uh, – Keep the momentum in our dugout. So I was I was really pleased with the way our guys uh, competed and played. Seems like getting a complete game out of Walker Powell in Game One of a series is a uh, a pretty good recipe for uh, for success. Well, you know, we saw last year in Nick Fanlin, our Friday night guy, and what made I think our staff so good last year is that Nick 
he averaged almost eight innings every outing on Friday night, which kept your bullpen fresh and ready yeah. to go for the next two games. And, and we haven't had that this year. And honestly, we've been relying on our bullpen uh, more than we need to. And, and they were show, starting to show signs of fatigue. And for Walker to come out after giving up three runs in the top of the first and then uh, throwing up eight straight zeros on Friday night, that couldn't have been any bigger for us on the weekend as far as our pitching staff goes. And, you know, in that, in those eight innings, you know, or nine innings that he pitched, 109 pitches, complete game, only gave up the three runs. You know, they had six doubles in that game. So he was, he had to pitch out of a lot of damage in there too. Uh, so, you know, a great performance by him and, and it proved to be really big for us in the next two games. Scott Barry on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Coach, I feel like throughout the course of the year we've talked about some individual guys. We've talked about Hunter Slater. We've talked about Matt Walner and, and what he means to this team. We've talked a lot about Walker Powell and some of your other pitchers. I don't know that we've ever mentioned Bryant Bowen's name, but but you look up now and he's got a 400 average and he's playing more, maybe not as many at-bats as some of the guys on your team, 12 extra base hits, he's slugging it well, he's got walks, he's not striking out a lot. How important has he been over the last few weeks to uh, to your success? Well, very, very important. And it dates back to uh, the Lock Tech opening weekend of our conference play uh, when I pinch hit for him late in the game and actually uh, went for, for defense with Dawson. And he kind of showed a little frustration of, of, of me making that move. And he and I had a heart-to-heart talk and, and uh, you know, he's such a great kid, uh, I mean, on and off the field and represents our program like we want it. And after that talk, you know, I said, hey, you know, this, this when these next opportunities come up, you need to put everything aside and you need to focus on that. And honestly, Richard, he has. I mean, he, he really has locked himself in to, to whatever we ask him to do. Of course, Cole went down uh, with the uh, San Antonio series, and then on Tuesday he couldn't play either, or on Friday, this past Friday. So Bowen had to log in all that experience back there behind the plate and uh, really just having the one guy and, and hoping he could do it. And, and he did, and he, he performed very well. And he's really he's evolved into our leader offensively in what he's been able to do. He's come up with the big hits on Saturday in the walk-off, you know, he hadn't really done much that game, and we talk all the time how the last at bat is usually your most important. You know, yeah. don't look don't look at your game in the rearview mirror. It's already it's already gone. So look for the next opportunity, and that's what he exactly did, and that bases loaded, no-out situation, a 3-3 tie, and he delivered a, a single to right field for us to walk that one off. Uh, looking ahead to Tuesday night, and I, I kind of stick with the same idea with, with Bowen and his ability to control the running game. You've got Ole Miss playing Pearl. It's always a fun event for, for both teams and for fans. They're a team that likes to run a lot. Uh, how comfortable do you feel with Bowen? Is it a combination of responsibility for him and your pitchers and and kind of how you control the running game? Well, I'm an old hind catcher myself, so I know it doesn't matter how good arm you have or you don't have, you know, Usually those base runners are stealing bases off that pitcher, and the pitcher has to do his job of varying the looks. He's got to do his job of delivering the ball to the plate and giving the catcher uh, time to, to make a throw down there. So there's a lot that goes into it. The last piece of that whole puzzle is the catcher, but so much of it's on the front end of what that pitcher does and, and how he uh, and how he controls the running game. So you know, certainly every coach, we, we try to work on that. 
uh, from a pitching staff as everyone else does in in trying to uh, trying to keep those guys off from second base and scoring position and and you know nothing's different tomorrow night we'll have to do the same thing against like you said a very good running Ole Miss team. It's usually a fun environment when uh, these two teams get together whether it's in Oxford or in Pearl or in Hattiesburg first of two meetings you excited about this one tomorrow night? I am you know uh, it's always a fun event when we go to Pearl and there's a lot of fan base from both sides that are there and uh, it's it's kind of one of those halfway points it seems like in your season when we meet up there so um, very very appreciative of being able to uh, to go there and play a game in front of our fan base and, and against Ole Miss as well. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Scott, really appreciate your time. Uh, good luck this week. Thanks, Richard. And Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss, coming off a sweep this past weekend. Interesting thoughts on Bryant Bowen. Said uh, didn't like that he was replaced late in a ball game defensively. And uh, the two of them had a conversation, and he has kind of evolved into the offensive leader, hitting 400 for the year. He's got a 1.139 OPS, which is really good. Slugging percentage just below 700. Seven doubles, five home runs on the year. It's a lot of uh, production from the catcher. Guys, it is Monday. It is just after 4 o'clock. That means it is time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. And a winner never win. All right. Hit, baby, hit. Number one on my list of winners, Jake Mangum, who is now the all-time hits leader in a career at Mississippi State and is well on his way, well on his way to becoming the all-time hits leader in Southeastern Conference baseball history. Now, there's a chance that Antoine Duplantis is going to break Eddie Furness's record of 352 hits as well, but he's not going to catch Jake Mangum, assuming Mangum stays healthy. The pace at which Jake Mangum is swinging the bat is simply mind-boggling. He's seeing everything. And every time he comes up to the plate with an opportunity to have success, he's having success. Hey, Dad, it's kind of crazy that given the career that he has had and the fact that there's a full scouting report out there on him, the best season of his career appears to be right now. Yeah, you would think he would have run out of things to impress us with, but uh, it looks like he's he's got another few tricks up his sleeve. He is hitting the ball at an almost unfair rate. Uh, I know that in the, the middle of the Saturday game, Tennessee's announcer made the comment that he was 32 of his last 62. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense statistically for baseball for a guy to be on, on that kind of tear. He had a five-hit game last week and a four-hit game. Uh, he had the uh, two-run RBI double that uh, broke the game open on Sunday. He, he's just playing really well, and it's 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 fun to watch. Four stick, uh, four sixteen average, sixteen doubles, three triples, got a home run. Slugging percentage is good. He's walked nine times. He's only struck out eight. He's eighteen of twenty three in stolen bases. He's really doing everything, and might be the best defensive center fielder in the SEC. Yeah, no no question about it. The guy is is as good as they get. Uh, so I'm going to go an all-baseball um, winner's list. So Jake Mangum, top of the list. 
I'm putting Ryan Olenek there as well for Ole Miss. Um, He's not the best center fielder in the SEC, but he's a good center fielder. But at the plate, he is good. And he's swinging at a really high level, hitting over 400, um, and is certainly a leader on that team. But for me, it's just the whole way he plays the game. He kind of falls into that dirtbag category, which for a lot of baseball players is a big-time compliment. He's the one that's always got his jersey dirty from head to toe because he's diving all over the place. He gets hit by pitches. He gets on base. He delivers in big moments. So Ryan Lennox on the winner's list. And then so is Gray Kessinger uh, for me. Uh, the, the turnaround that he has had in SEC play leads the team in hitting in Southeastern Conference games, and he's on the winner's list for me. So I stuck with baseball, stuck with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Let you guys branch out from, uh, from there. Hey, Dad, who you got? This is my choice, right? You can't come, you can't jump in on it, right? Don't talk to me about wrestling. My winner is Kofi Kingston, the new WWE champion, the first ever African American WWE champion, and first off, WWE eighty-two thousand strong at WrestleMania, a new uh, MetLife Stadium record, and of course, a great pay per view all the way down. But Kofi was the guy the fans had gotten. You weren't behind. even excited about it. I was excited about it. I did a whole podcast about it. Yeah, but you I said earlier last week that you weren't all that excited about it, but you were begrudgingly going to watch. No, I, I, I think you misunderstood what I was going to say. But that said, it was a really good moment. I think to you see got revisionist win. history. Once again, I said this was my moment, and you are your. I, I didn't chime in on yours. I, I, I just let you have. It's because I had good winners. My other winner is myself because I had to go buy a new belt today. My other belt was was too big. Hey hey. So my pants are fitting a little better today. There you go. I like it. How many pounds are we down? We're down 27 pounds. There you go. Nice work. Borky, give me a winner. Uh, Mike McIntyre. Even though it was just a spring game, in 14 practices, he was able to make the Ole Miss defense look like they knew where to line up, which, when you watched them last year, is a massive accomplishment. Fair enough. Fair enough. Rippy, give me a winner. I'm struggling, but I guess I'll go Cooper Johnson. Uh, had a couple hits on Friday night, kind of sealed the game with the two RBI single or double. I can't remember, but like it, you know, on Friday, April fifth, he was hitting three ten. If you had that, like, it's probably some pretty pretty long odds on that fact. But like, if you'd said he's hitting three ten, like, and where Ole Miss would be at this point, probably in a pretty good place. And he's always been there defensively, like as far as like pop time and all that, and cleared up some receiving issues, and is kind of really coming into his own. But he's he's helped his draft stock a lot at the plate this year. And has thrown out like 56% of the base runners that have tried to steal on him, which is tops in the league. 12 of 22, I think. Yeah, and that was never really the question with him. I mean, the arm was always there, and so was mostly the defense, other than some receiving issues that he's cleared up. Uh, losers. Um, what, what have you guys got? What, what have you got? Auburn. That sucked. Ooh. Oh, that's painful. Auburn was going to the national championship game. And then they weren't. And then they weren't. So there's tons of credit that goes to Kyle Guy. There is ample criticism that goes to the official that didn't call the double dribble. But can we just be real for a second and say, how bad was the defense on that three-point shot with 1.6 seconds to go? Not just the foul, but the fact that he was so open that you had to foul on the closeout and give him an open look. It's not good. Not good at all. 
Hey, Dad, you got a loser? Yeah, the University of Tennessee and whoever runs their broadcast department. I don't understand how in the world of the SEC network, when you have $60 million a year coming in from that network, that we are limited to a two-camera, and we're going to just overlay the radio broadcast with the video of this weekend. I don't know how that happens. And Tennessee said it was because they had multiple events on campus. Well, this weekend is Super Bulldog weekend. The state will have football, baseball, and softball going this weekend. I guarantee State will have a full SEC network broadcast for all of its baseball games. That was embarrassing. It was junior high level. And part of the problem on a couple of replays was the the, the, the home office in Birmingham said, we don't have a good angle because you've only got two cameras. Yeah. Um, does, anybody, does anybody care about the actual reason that that was happening? If you know, what is the actual reason? Because all I've got was we had multiple events. Well, the, it's not just the multiple events. It's multiple events with only one control room. And so if you only have one control room to run a full standard broadcast where you've got the ESPN graphics and you know everything looks like it's an SEC network broadcast, outside of that, then you have to go to this little switcher camera. The audio is not going to be as good. And looking at the schedule, it looks to me like they just chose to broadcast softball over baseball. Well, I mean, how, how does Mississippi State going to get around that this weekend? Then, they, I mean, they obviously have multiple control rooms, is what you're telling me. At Mississippi State, they must. So Mississippi State, e- e- either I, I, that, without, or without you don't get, watch without softball. knowing, without yeah. knowing, I, I would imagine Mississippi State's athletic budget is at least fifty million dollars less than uh, Tennessee's. But they can get Plus around they, that. And, apparently, there was also a, a monster truck show going on inside Thompson Bowling Arena. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. No baseball, but monster trucks. Well, I mean, they may have had people and resources tied to that with the video board show going on in there. Porky, give me a loser. Oh, uh, quickly, spring game attendance stadium shaming guy. Happened a lot this weekend. If fans don't want to watch a glorified practice in April, they're not bad for it. They're actually a lot smarter than you. Get a hobby. You'd be remiss if you didn't mention UCLA. Their coaching search has gone off the rails. A bit of a debacle. Is Rick Barnes going to be the next coach at UCLA or no? I wouldn't, but I don't know what he's thinking. Hey, Dad, do you think yes or no? I say I say no. Okay. How many people were at the Ole Miss spring game? Uh, I was there. I'm not sure about everyone else. Sports I- Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky in the studio. Mondays have become a lot of fun because we've been getting to visit uh, almost every Monday with all three head coaches in the state. We talked with Scott Berry about an hour ago. Chris Lamonis joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Chris, really appreciate uh, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. You go on the road. It's hard to win on the road. It's hard to, to sweep, period. How did you feel about the weekend, getting two out of three in Knoxville? No, we were fired up. We played a good Tennessee team, a team that could really pitch. And um, it showed in a couple of our games because we've been pretty offensive all year, but it was pretty close games. And uh, excited to get a road series um, in Knoxville. I've watched the video. I've 
seeing some of your quotes. If you don't mind, walk us through what happened on Saturday with the, the sack bunt, the ball gets thrown to the dugout, they award two bases by rule. Just just kind of take us through what, what the umpire said to you and what your understanding of the entire play is. Well, the entire play is is um, the ball had a cut on it. You know, Peyton kind of shook it in his glove and threw it to the side. Um you know, really the intent of that rule is not for a play like that, but um, the ball did go out of play. The base runners are awarded two bases is why the two runs scored. Umpire didn't see a timeout <clears throat> is what he had, so it's an unfortunate play. Um, the, the thing with us, it's just hard to score when you, you know, win a game when you only score one run, so I don't want to put it on Peyton. You know, uh, he pitched an unbelievable ball game, especially at the last minute. Um, and just, you know, a tough play. Just, a, 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 you know, you just don't see that happen very often. Was, was there an explanation from the umpires beyond that, them just saying, no, we didn't see a, a timeout? Yeah, just the ball was still in play is all it was. Just a miscommunication between Peyton and the umpire, and um, Peyton's got to do a better job of showing it and, and everything else. And we really just, the whole key is you throw the ball to the catcher at that point. Um, from now on, I think we've learned our lesson in that world. I, I haven't seen that before, but, um, you know, an unfortunate play. But that, that's what it was. And if the umpire didn't call timeout, and there wasn't timeout. That's what I went out to talk to the umpire and just asked if he had called timeout, but he had not. Coach Brian Haydad here. You mentioned Peyton Plumley getting that start on short notice because JT Ginn scratched from Saturday, then you pitch him on Sunday, but he only gets an inning. Just sort of walk us through what happened on, on Sunday, you know, what happened pregame, what was the decision to pull him out, and then what, what's the, the status for him going forward? He is, um, you know, he's just a little uncomfortable, nothing major, we don't think. Um, just, And I just didn't, I didn't like his body language when he pitched out there, so I, I don't know if he was really comfortable with himself. His stuff was still good. He didn't, I mean, he gave up a couple of hits, but there were kind of some flare balls in that inning, not really there. But I just, I wasn't comfortable with him being out there. If, uh, you know, we had told him 100%. And, and so I just, you know, watching him, I didn't feel that way. And um, we're not going to jeopardize J, JT, you know, and, and, and any of our pitchers, you know, for that reason. And um, Keegan came in and did a really good job. I certainly like hearing what what you said there and and I don't know that all coaches necessarily approach it that way how difficult is it to to walk that line of you've got a pitcher that wants the ball in his hand and he says I'm going to go but but you look at him and you go you know what I I don't think he's 100% and three years in a career is more important than than a single game and it's just a gut feeling I mean I was more uncomfortable the first 10 pitches he threw because I was just like that's why coach Fox all went out and talked to him you just you know you're going to want to, you're going to do what's right for your kids and in our situation in our program i mean everybody has a chance at a pro career when you're at mississippi state or these other you know great programs in our league like you, you got to you know the, the key at the end of the day is you're going to have a lot of success if, if your kids are moving on to the next level and uh, it's it's our job and responsibility to take care of them to the best of our abilities Kind of a big picture question here, Chris. I was talking to Kevin O'Sullivan before Saturday's games in Oxford, and we were just kind of talking about more guys getting on campus. You obviously have got JT again, a first-round pick who says, I'm going to go and play in the SEC. What do you think has happened that is allowing more kids leaving high school to say, you know what, I'm going to go and play three years of college ball, and I'm willing to take the risk or or at least put that money on hold to go take in that experience. What what do you think the reasons are for that? 
Well, I think it's a couple ways. I mean, these SEC ballparks, this SEC experience, it's like they're playing in double A. And so these kids are getting to come here, go through those transitions, but they get to do it with their friends. They get to go enjoy the college experience. They don't get backtracked. And I think the path that a lot of great players that have gone to college and moved on, I think that's helping them right now because a lot of organizations are are not only drafting you know players out of SEC schools and all the other schools, but they're also and they just got short tracks for the big leagues. And it just yeah. shows you there's more big leaguers are are you know college players and high school players. Now there's some great big league high school players, but the majority of you know outside that first or second round of, of the college players is it's just the maturity factor. I mean you're going away for the first time. Any kid going to college, the biggest jump in their life. Um, and we get some really good players, they're very mature players. They struggle with us. And at least they're struggling in a clubhouse with their buddies and their families are around and everything else, I think is a big piece. Um, we're, we're pro pro ball. I mean, that's, if you ask any kid in our clubhouse, that's where they want to get and that's where they want to be. So it's not that they're not about pro ball, but, um, the preparation from nutrition, weight training, um, playing in the environs, environments we do. I mean, most of our kids will go out in the summer and play in a great summer program. Um, so, man, they're, they're preparing themselves for pro ball so that when they're out there on their own, uh, they can take care of themselves. Do, do you think Major League Baseball trusts the instruction that, that kids are getting, especially in the SEC, maybe more now than they ever have before? I think so. I mean, I think you're, I think you're seeing a lot of that. I think the facilities and the, and the, that we have in terms of weight rooms and pitching labs and hitting facilities and then the, the coaching that we're having at this level, I mean, um, there's, Great coaching here. There's great coaching in pro ball. So you got both sides of it. Uh, the experience piece of getting at bats and doing those things are uh, in these environments. I don't know if you can, you know, there's not many places you go where you're going to get 10, 12,000 people at your game and you're playing for something. I mean, man, those weekends are intense. I've learned that in just a short amount of time in this league. It's the, you know, yeah. the, the wear down after Sunday is pretty hard because these weekends, man, you're playing for a lot. This Jake Mangum thing is, it's almost a little ridiculous right now. He becomes the all-time hits leader at Mississippi State. Uh, assuming he stays healthy, he's going to become the all-time SEC hits leader. But it's not just hits. He, he, he's doing everything well. He's not striking out. He's walking. He's hitting doubles. He obviously plays a great center field. Have you he's ever seen anybody bases. say again? He's stealing bases, too. Yeah. You know, I think he's second in the SEC in bags. Have you ever seen a college player that looks or plays kind of the way he plays? Not really. I mean, it's a different. I mean, it's and it's different than I thought it was when I came here. I thought I, you know, hey, I'm getting this. He is a different bird. I mean, he is. I mean, he just, he comes every day ready to go. I know I've probably said it on your show, and I say it to everybody who asks me about him. But I just, man, the engine it just doesn't stop. I mean, and he's. Man, he wants to be great, and he wants the man. He wants that next hit, and it's not for the record because he's been doing this since his freshman year. He just, yeah, man, he is he is all about the next hit. He's just not going to let let any pitch go by. What makes him tick? You been able to figure that out? No, I mean it's it's just a high energy level. I mean he comes and he brings it. He brings it in practice. He brings it in the games, and um, he's a very competitive, and he's got great hand eye coordination. So. Um, you know, he, he hits some balls. You know, he's, he's ultra-aggressive, you know that, but he's he has the ability to hit outside the zone a little bit, which is it's just fun to watch most of the time. But uh, he, um, 
and he, and he has a knack for getting a big hit. I mean, he just he gets that big hit. We we gave we had a vote on Sunday because he tried to bunt. I think with the bases loaded the other night or Saturday, and we told him he wasn't allowed to bunt anymore. with runners in scoring <laughs> position, so I had the whole team bunt. I said we'd be a democracy, and it was a hundred percent. Nobody wanted him to bunt, so um, he just he just gets the big hit every time. At least that I've seen. Chris Lamonis on your radio. Last thing, and we certainly appreciate your time. Super Bulldog weekend coming up. Alabama coming in for the uh, for the series this weekend. They're sitting at four and eight, bottom of the SEC West. But it seems like it's an improved Alabama team. Th- these weekends are all hard, regardless of who you're playing, aren't they? Oh, they're all hard, and they're well coached, and they got. Um, they're probably a little young in some ways, but they're. It's going to be a, a great weekend of baseball. Um, I've had the opportunity to compete. You know, I was in Louisville as the recruiting coordinator, and Brad Bohannon was the recruiting coordinator at Kentucky. And I always right. said that was my, one of the toughest battles I ever had, was just going head-to-head week-to-week with those guys. And so uh, we're expecting a, a great weekend of baseball here in town. We're hoping we can get great weather and maybe set this attendance record with Super Bulldog weekend and everything going on. Um, I think a lot of our fans are excited to get in here and see the new ballpark if they haven't seen it yet. What, what's the number? you got to get to, like, 15-3 to set the uh, the record? And you know what's funny? I don't, it's fifteen something because it's right in the middle of our right when you walk in our lobby now. But uh, yeah, it's right around fifteen. So I need, I need to make sure I know that number. If I'm asking people to set it, but um, it'd be a pretty good weekend. We've been around eleven or twelve. So uh, you know, Super Bulldog weekend. I've never been to one, but everybody tells me it's pretty fun if you win. Yeah, certainly going to be impressive. Chris, thanks for your time today. I know you're busy. Uh, always appreciate you squeezing us in. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Coach Lamonis appeared on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Just after 5 o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad, to scoot out for the rest of the show this afternoon. Glad to have you along. you got baseball coming your way tomorrow night with Ole Miss and Southern Miss in Pearl. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. What if you only needed one company for all of your technology challenges? Introducing the new C Spire business, the industry's first full-stack managed solutions provider. Learn more at cspire.com slash business, C Spire, customer Inspired. It's time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. At Ford, they've got the spring sales event going on right now, which means great financing options for the cars, trucks, and SUVs. I can't tell you how good the F-150 is. I am on my fourth F-150 in a row. There's a reason that for 42 consecutive years, Ford is the best-selling truck in America, and the F-150 is, and Ford is the best-selling brand in America. They just make the best trucks. So let's talk some Grove Bowl. Ole Miss wrapped up spring practice on Saturday for all basic purposes. They had a practice, I think, this afternoon that would uh, completely bring it to an end. Rippy, you were there on Saturday at Vault-Hemingway Stadium. Offense versus defense. Final score doesn't matter, but the defense won the ball game just with the scoring setup they had. What'd you see? What'd you learn? What'd you like? What'd you hate? That's a lot to unpack. 
You can take them one at a time. Okay. Well, what you see? I wrote eight observations from it on Saturday. You can read that at supertalk.fm if you so choose. Um, I guess we'll start offensively. They're going to use Tyler Knight a lot of different ways. He caught a couple balls out of the slot. I imagine they're going to run him a decent bit, too. Obviously not between the tackles to keep him alive and in one piece. But he showed a lot of different things. And then I think if you're like if you're an Ole Miss fan looking for a guy that's going to kind of be the breakout offensive player, it's probably Elijah Moore. He and Matt Corral have developed kind of a rapport. He's a smart guy, possesses a lot of speed in the slot. I imagine with a pretty significant retooling going on on the offensive line, he's kind of a guy you could get the ball out of Matt Crowell's hands quickly and into space. So that offensive line still work in progress. they got seven newcomers that one or two of them are going to have to get ready to play when they come in in the summer get ready for the fall. Um, defensively, as Borky so astutely put it, they got lined up in the right place and made tackles. Um which I guess if you watched last year, not always a given. But I, I do. I think they're going to be more disciplined on defense. I think they're going to be better tacklers. And I don't know how much better the results are going to be defensively, but I think it's going to be more visually appeasing style to watch. It just but, looked like they knew what they were supposed to do. And I know that sounds silly because high school teams look like they know what they're supposed to do, but I can't – I mean, you, you both saw it. All of you listening saw it. The number of times where a defender on Ole Miss, before the ball was snapped, had their hands up in the air looking towards the sidelines, not knowing what they were supposed to do, happened far too frequently. The amount of times it happened in one game is enough for an entire season. Yes, it was a vanilla scheme. It was a vanilla everything. But that did not happen on Saturday, which I can imagine is so refreshing. Did the receivers run routes? Yes. There were progressions, too. Matt Corral went through progressions. Those exist in the new offense. From space one to space two to space three. He hit his fourth man one time. Chasing space? Chasing a lot of space. A lot of grass. A lot of grass being consumed. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, Matt Corral, he's 22 or 37 for 240. Tough to gauge because he's not allowed to use his legs. It was kind of, you know, two-hand touch in that sense, but I thought he looked pretty good. I thought, I think my observation from the backup race was both guys did some nice things. I think when John Rice Plumley comes on campus, that might change the dynamic of the backup quarterback job, but Tisdale threw a touchdown. Dent made a couple nice throws, even though he's four for 12. I so, so Tisdale and Kincaid Dent operating as the backups? Yeah. Um, I mean, Grant Restmeyer was out there too, but like you, you would presume that it'd be those two. Um, really, aside from that, you saw a lot of Snoop Connor and Devon Penniman. Uh, first time you'd seen Devon Penniman in a long time. Uh, obviously, had a pretty catastrophic knee injury, I believe, at the end of the 2017 season, and I think that's important because. Like Scotty Phillips and Isaiah Willard are obviously the number one and two backs, but you saw when Phillips missed. Really, the last three games, because he got early, hurt early enough in the A&M game that he didn't make much of an impact on that. Ole Miss didn't really have a lot behind Isaiah Willard, and that really kind of made a difference. And with Eric Sweeney transferring out of the program, you're going to need three or four guys to add depth, because they're looking at depth across the board, and to add depth across the board, excuse me, and running back's really no exception. I don't know if stats matter from a spring game or not. They probably don't. Matt Corral, 22 of 37 for 240 yards. Uh, had a touchdown and an interception. Uh, the other quarterbacks really didn't throw it all that much. Kincaid Dent was 4 of 12. Uh, Grant Tisdale was 3 of 5. And then you, you mentioned a couple of the other guys. Snoop Connor gets 10 carries. Isaiah Woolard gets 10 carries. And what, they held Scotty Phillips out of the, the spring game. So, so you mentioned Tylen Knight. Um, 
one of those guys that they'll line up in a lot of different places? Is that what you anticipate with him? Maybe more out. Of, yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell like what they're going to do. Like, like Saturday, you got basically no idea of what they're going to do scheme wise, but maybe a decent idea of what the personnel may look like. And so, yeah, I think they'll use him a lot of different ways, but probably a decent bit out of the slot. Um, what about Braylon Sanders? He had three catches in the game. He's actually a guy on the the roster. It's got some significant playing time and some big catches in games. Is he going to have a big role this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you lose three draft picks like you did in in Lodge Brown and Metcalf, certainly, and he he was him being able to break into playing time and pretty significant playing time in a role with those three on the roster, it kind of speaks for itself. So yeah, certainly. Some of what. Um... Rich Rodriguez had to say about the offensive line, uh, I, I think, would be a, a little concerning. 100% the biggest point of concern for Ole Miss without a close second going into the offseason heading into the season. I mean, it's a you lose a combined 127 starts. Like, they have guys there that have been in the program for a while now, like the Eli Johnsons, the Bryce Matthews, the Royce Newmans, the Ben Browns, with varying degrees of experience. You still got Alex Givens out there, um, which is obviously the by far and away the most veteran guy they have. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be... Like, I'm not necessarily... Like, Who's going to be the center? They're moving... I mean, may, Eli Johnson, maybe? They're just moving so many guys around now, it's tough to tell what position kind of anyone's going to settle into. Did I, you see Ben Brown in the middle of that? I mean, I guess he was a guard primarily a year ago with um, Givens as the tackle on the right side. I haven't seen enough in spring practice just from radio and other conflicts to 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 know to have a good an- educated answer on that. Yeah. Um but Rich Rodriguez said after it was all over that that it was like yeah, we're going to be thin, but we're going to be young. Yeah, I think he was saying that just kind of as a whole offensively, but yeah, to his point, like they have enough guys that have like like Ben Brown has some experience. Alex Gibbons has a lot. Eli Johnson and Bryce Matthews have a little bit. Like I think it's more of a depth issue than anything else. Obviously, they're they're going to have much less experience, like when they run the starting five out there than they did a year ago. But I think depth is every big, every bit as big a part of this as anything else. Given the gulf between success offensively and success defensively that Ole Miss has had in recent years. Is there a scenario where the defense plays a more important role this year than the offense does? I'm not sure if I'm asking that the right way. And it's probably a scary question to ask that way. In what sense? Well, in that you've lost so many pieces on the offensive side. You've got questions at the offensive line. You have a first-year starting quarterback. Sure, Scotty Phillips is back, and you lose three draft picks at wide receiver. Does the offense take a significant step back to the point that the defense has to carry the team? I guess is where I'm getting at. I don't think they're in a position to to necessarily do that, but okay. I mean, do you think the offense is going to come along? I mean, sure, at a certain point, but it's a new system. It's gonna like they'll be better at the end of the year than they were at the beginning. But it's it's you haven't seen a whole lot. Are the better players on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball? 
Um, I'd probably still lean offensive. Okay. I mean, I, I didn't mean that as a trick question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's... I mean, the roster is not where they want it to be right now, bottom line. I mean, they're a young football team, so they're going to kind of go through growing pains this year and have guys kind of... Do you think it's going to be an exciting team to watch? I'll go interesting. Okay. Fair enough. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Top three people in the Sports Talk Mississippi Bracket Challenge have Virginia picked to win the national title. Uh, got a handful of people that have picked Virginia that are on the first page of the uh, of the leaderboard. Uh, none of the four of us, by the way, picked Virginia to win it all. Not even close. Not even close. Borky. I was terrible this year, and I felt okay about it for a while. But we got to go all the way to the fourth page of the leaderboard to uh, find my bracket. I think this is maybe the worst that I've ever been. What, have you looked at it lately? Do you know where you – Haydad is in front of me by 10 points. He's out of the mix. Where are you on it? Have you? Have I haven't you, looked since Duke got eliminated, since Mike Krzyzewski – Decided not to give the most explosive player in college basketball the ball with seven minutes left in the game. I, after that, my bracket was done, so I stopped looking. Yeah, so uh, we are going to have a winner on that, and we'll give away a prize pack uh, to the uh, the winner. We'll know that uh, tomorrow. Uh, man, there were a bunch of people that picked Duke to uh, to win the national championship. Not only do they not win it, they don't even make it to the Final Four weekend. What do you think of the games? Um, Texas Tech's win over Michigan State. Virginia's win over Auburn. Virginia over Auburn was the more entertaining game and was great down the stretch. Felt like Auburn was going to play in a national championship. Right? Which would have been... An incredible accomplishment, and Bruce Pearl's getting a pass. He really, he is absolutely getting a pass with his two assistants getting arrested. One of them, I know, is not related to what he did at Auburn, but he had an assistant coach get arrested for doing things that are against NCAA rules, and it's if people just have completely forgotten about it. Even still, an incredible coaching job, even especially after Okiki's injury. Bruce Pearl earned the what do you call it respect the the when people talk about great college basketball coaches he comes up in that conversation he earned it in this tournament regardless of the outside NCAA coach getting arrested stuff yeah um that there hasn't been a lot of question ever about the coaching chops of Bruce Pearl. He, but his first it. few years at Auburn, just I mean, the, the teams were really bad, and he was bringing in players, but the teams were still bad. And then this year, boom. And this is not... I mean, would you agree that this isn't... He doesn't have the, the most high-end talent that he's had since he's been there on this roster? No, but he's got old guys. He's got Bryce Brown. 
He's got Jared Harper. He's got Danielle Purifoy. Um, he had Anthony McLemore. Uh, Chumo Kiki. He was just a sophomore. Uh, but was playing at a really high level. Uh, Horace Spencer's been around for a while. They just had a bunch of guys that, that have played well. So is that the formula? Because I'm in the it's camp. It's get old, stay old. Get old, stay old. Because I'm in the camp that the NCAA tournament doesn't exactly tell us who the best team in the country is. It's a great tournament. And if you win all those games, you deserve to be the champion. But, I mean, I don't know if, if, if Texas Tech wins tonight. They're the best team in college basketball. But isn't that the formula then? As good as one and done is for your program, as good as it is for John Calipari, as good as it is for college basketball to have Zion Williamson play, should those kind of programs rethink how they recruit and who they recruit? Well, you consistently see guys like in in this tournament versus, like, say, the NBA playoffs. Like, this is obvious. I mean, this is fairly obvious, but like, you see more often than not, you see teams make mental blunders versus like plays and I think that's because you're seeing so much more youth in college basketball whereas you don't see that as often for teams that have three four juniors and seniors out there that's maybe their second or third NCAA tournament or fourth yeah so that's my question should Mike Krzyzewski for example instead of bringing in all of these elite freshmen and building your team around a bunch of 18 year old kids should he rethink the way he builds a roster? So, so are you going to tell Mike Krzyzewski and John Calipari and Bill Self, whoever ends up as the head coach at UCLA, don't go recruit the best players? We'll recruit two and take a couple grad transfers or yeah. make sure you had a kid that's in the program two, three, four years. Go get Zion and then go get the graduate transfer from – UC Irvine, who averaged 25 points per game in whatever league they play in. Maybe something to that. The other really interesting story, so so you've got Virginia as a one-and-a-half point favorite in the game tonight. By the way, who do you like tonight? Do you like Virginia or Texas Tech? Texas Tech for me. Okay. Why? Physicality. Even though they're both physical, they both slow it down. I love the way Texas Tech plays defense. I know it's boring and it's not sexy or whatever, but it's physical. And they'll be able to wear down Virginia tonight. I want Virginia to win the game. Uh, I I like the makeup of that team. And to me, it's just a really cool story. If they're able to come full circle and win the national championship a year after being the first ever one seed to lose to a 16 I think that's a fantastic story. And well, that's been a good Virginia team all year long. When, when we were in the Bahamas for Battle for Atlantis, Jimmy Dykes and I were talking about it, and, and he was saying back in November, Virginia's a team that's good enough to win a national championship. You know, there are a handful, what, half a dozen or so teams that are, are good enough. Duke was one that, you know, obviously you felt like was good enough. North Carolina was a team that was good enough to win it all. Felt like Tennessee was a team that was good enough to win it all. And consistently said this is the case with Virginia. You got Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. You've got Mamadi Diakite, uh, who is a good player down low. Kihei Clark, the freshman point guard, 
you know, what an incredible role he has played on that team, kind of playing at a, a level of maturity beyond his years. Zach Salt or Jack Salt is a guy that can kind of bang around down low. This is um, it's a really complete Virginia team. And is it a good idea to bet against a team that's won the last two games they have the way they've won them? Probably so. You think it's a good? Well, you think it's a good idea to bet against that? No, I'm agreeing with you. Is what I meant to say. I mean, it, there's a little, there's just a touch of divine intervention that it feels like when you watch the way the last two games have ended for Virginia. The way they beat Purdue to get to the to the Final Four, the way they beat Auburn to get to the national championship game. Culver Hunter matchup will be fascinating. And then like they're so they play such a similar style and they're so even, but like it comes down to like the last like three minutes. Like Culver was awful for most of that final four game, but then ends what he was on a he went on a person like he, he closed out Michigan State with a either an eight oh or a six oh run by himself to end the game. And so like would you rather like who are you taking in the last two and a half minutes there? That or somebody on like Kyle Guy, Jerome, whoever it may be on Virginia, I'm probably taking Culver. Is DeAndre Hunter the guy that Virginia will put the ball in his hands if the game's on the line at the end? I mean, Kyle Guy was brutal early in the NCAA tournament, but has hit huge shots in the last two games. It's so system-oriented, though. Is it one guy that they do that through? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, Ralph Russo from the Associated Press tweeted this. He said, possibly relevant for tonight, lowest scoring NCAA championship games in the shot clock era. So this goes back to the 1986 Final Four. Now, let's be honest. It's a little depressing that we're talking about that. We'd rather see highest scoring games in the championship. Doesn't feel like you're going to get that tonight. UConn and Butler in 2011 scored a combined 94 points. UConn-Kentucky in 2014 went for 114. Maryland-Indiana in 2002 went for 116. Then you jump up to Duke-Butler in 2010. That was 120. And that's where the total falls for this game. Between the Maryland-Indiana 116 and the Duke-Butler 120, I think the total is, what, 117? 117 and a half? Something along those lines. I was going to mention this a second ago. The other interesting story in college basketball right now, uh, Eric Musselman has been named head coach at Arkansas. It's a good hire by the Razorbacks. But what's going on at UCLA? The search has been uh, just a, a circus. They've made a run at Rick Barnes, have reportedly offered him $5 million a year. Is the Naismith National Coach of the Year going to leave Tennessee and go to UCLA Or is he going to stay put in Knoxville? Hasn't made that decision public yet. I guess we'll get that tonight or tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.